the top of buildings and towers just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Along with me is my co-host, the infinite Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? I've been feeling so trapped lately, you know, <laughs> with just one person, and I I, I can't get away from them. Yeah. I, I, but I, I also need to talk about COVID as well. That's also a, a topic on my mind. But uh, <laughs> Would the trap be with me or trapped with J.L. May? <laughs> that, <laughs> that is for all of you to decide. <laughs> You know, my friend Rob, uh, you guys don't know him, but he once described JLMA as an STD, which is uh, it's a pain in the butt or, or other places, and then it goes away for a while and you forget about it, and then it comes roaring back when you least expect it. It's a thing you agree to when there's a, when it's a year away, and you go, yeah, I'll do that, and then the year comes up, and you're like, why did I agree to that? What? <laughs> well, we are here for another JLMA. I think this is our fourth year in a row, and this one's kind of fun. I like this. It is uh, – now, Michael Bailey is to be blamed for all of this, folks, so if you – any hate mail, send to him. Uh, we are covering the Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Now, I don't mean the one-shot called Countdown to Infinite Crisis. We are doing the actual – preparations DC put out to get people ready for the Infinite Crisis miniseries, or you could call it even the event before the event. So we're not covering Infinite Crisis itself. We're covering all. Well, because what they did was they did this thing called DC Countdown, which was a one-shot, which is where something unfortunate happened to Blue Beetle. Uh, and then they did a bunch of miniseries like OMAC Project and Villains United and Day of Vengeance and uh, Ran Thanagar War. And it, just, it got a lot of momentum and a lot of excitement. And Michael, I'll steal a line from Michael Bailey. It was the la- – I was so into it. I was all in. I was so excited for this, right? And I was loving DC and everything was interconnected and it felt complete and like it's this beautiful tapestry. And then it all starts to fall apart after Infinite Crisis, and it's probably the last time, again, stealing from Bailey, probably the last time I was fully invested in the DC Universe. Um, And so this is kind of a a grand hurrah of of an era that I loved. Now, you were probably 
What, were you even reading comic books at this point? I was. I Basically, any of these events that I read, it would have had to have happened in one of the books I was reading at the time, namely Aquaman, yep. uh, probably Justice League. Uh, I don't even know what other books I might have been reading. So I, I didn't I didn't interact with this event other than in the books I was already buying. Gotcha. Okay. Now, this was 2005, just to give you guys some context. And if you want, uh, the best place to start is go over to Michael Bailey's Views from the Longbox feed. And there, on the towards the end of April, he released an episode uh, all about the Countdown to Infinite Crisis special that came out. It's a giant special. It's only a dollar. And again, that horrible thing happened in it. And he's got several guests on the show, including myself, where we sort of set the table for JL May. We talk a lot about it. And uh, we share a lot of deep thoughts. So maybe that's a great place to start. And if you've already been there, welcome to here. So we want to hear your thoughts on JL May. We want to hear your thoughts on the Countdown to Infinite Crisis. And these comics we're going to be covering, go out on the social medias. And the hashtag this year is uh, pound JL May. 2020. That's Pound JL May 2020. We want to hear from you. Now, the way Rob and I are approaching this is we're, this is the, you know, I guess the show that launched our network all about Aquaman and Firestorm. So that's what we're going to cover. We're going to cover the Aquaman and Firestorm issues that were tie-ins to the Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Isn't that super fun, Rob? I'm, I'm giddy with excitement. <laughs> Folks, I had to hold him back with a lasso. He was so wound up when we got started. All right, uh, but before we do all that, we should take a moment to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, what'd you bring, buddy? All right, I have Aquaman Kingdom Lost trade paperback. It's by John Arcudi, Pat Gleason, and, and various other artists. The cover is by Pat Gleason and Christian Alamy. Just as the citizens of San Diego are starting to adapt to their new life under the sea, Black Man arrives with his own plans for the devastated city. While Aquaman and his new Aqua Girl deal with the latest mystery, Atlantis is making its inroads with San Diego. This legendary storyline comes to a close in the lead up to. Infinite Crisis. This book, this book collects issues numbers 32 through 39 of Aquaman, which is one of the book we'll be covering tonight. Uh, as I mentioned, it's by John Arcudi and Pat Gleason. 200 pages, normally $16.99. In stock trades price, $9.85. You save 42% off. And we all know these were great comics. Pat Gleason, the John Arcudi, Pat Gleason run on Aquaman was great. So this is the second, basically, half of the trade paperback of the whole Sub Diego storyline. And actually, I guess it's uh, the last Aquaman, you know, our Aquaman story for quite a while because he sort of disappears at the end of that yes. and then doesn't come back till brightest day. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. So I, I, the, my trade paperback pick, well, I would have picked Firestorm, but this era of Firestorm is not collected right now. So I picked Aquaman's sort of Atlantis trade paperback volume one. This takes place immediately after the trade Rob just recommended. This begins the one year later era. So what you've got here is an all new Aquaman. You've got Arthur Joseph Curry, who it, it, it's a complete revamp. And well, just to give you the idea, it's written by Kurt Busiek with art by Jackson, uh, Butch Geis. And so it's a very different look and feel. It's no longer a superhero comic. It's really a sword and sorcery comic book at that point. And at the, I didn't get it at the time, but years later reading it, I finally grasped the sword and sorcery side of it. It just had an absolute blast. So I'm a big fan of the, of the early issues of the Sword of Atlantis run by Kurt Busiek. This collects it uh, 464 pages. Wow! It's got 10 comics in it. Full color. Normally goes for $39.99, but you can get it for 42% off right now, so only $23.19. And I and I know Sword of Atlantis was not the direction at the time that we wanted Aquaman to go in. We wanted 
classic Aquaman. We love San Diego. But now that you've had some distance from it, how do you feel about sort of Atlantis? Yeah, it has grown on me. Uh, when I did the re- reread of it a bunch of years ago for the Aquaman Trine, I really appreciated it a lot. I mean, I didn't hate it when it was out. I certainly love the artwork, and I certainly appreciated that it was a different, completely different take on Aquaman, on a character, another character called Aquaman. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't the Aquaman I wanted. But but I look at it now, and I'm like, it's actually it's actually pretty pretty good, pretty good. And I even like the the second iteration where uh, they you had a different uh, writer and art team. So Ted and Williams, it, yeah, Ted Williams and Sean McManus. I actually yeah. own a page of sort of Atlantis artwork by Sean McManus. Oh wow! Um, yeah, he okay. sent he sent it to me because I said nice things about him on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> about, about his run on sort of Atlantis. And it's a shame that Arthur Joseph has been completely scrubbed from history. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know if they would acknowledge he existed at this point. No, I, exactly. uh, I did a reread of it myself as well, and I used to run a blog called Once Upon a Geek, and I did a, an Aquaman week or something like that. And I, I did a big, long post about Star of Atlantis and how in the reread I came to really appreciate it. And I did you know promote it on social media or whatever. Kurt Busiek found it and responded saying, well, better late than never as far right. as me liking it. So I was like, oh, wow. Ouch. Sorry, mm-hmm. Kurt. <laughs> So anyway, folks, uh, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support because, you know, running the Fire and Water Podcast Network, there's so many shows and all these JL May, truthfully, it's blackmail is is how we end up doing this. But anyway, there's a lot of fees that go in with all of this. And for the past several years, us hosts sort of absorbed all those hosting costs and fees, and it grew beyond our control. And you guys really stepped up and helped us out with the Patreon. And if you're enjoying the Fire and Water Podcast Network, the best way to help us is uh, by visiting patreon.com slash fwpodcast and there you can see all the different levels you can uh, consider supporting the Fire and Water Podcast Network and at certain sponsorship tiers you'll get mentioned on your favorite Fire and Water shows just like these folks who chose to support the Aquaman and Firestorm show our thanks go out to Jason Pope Jay Campbell, Keechee Baker, Kevin Kelp, Adam Ackerman, David Ace Gutierrez and Gord Tolton Yep. again folks please go out to our Patreon which is patreon.com slash fwpodcast now We've told you a little bit about JL May. We're going to let Michael Bailey and some handsome devil tell you more about JL May on oh, this is Luke, promo. Oh, is Luke Dobb on this promo? I hate you with the passion of a thousand burning suns. So, after this promo, we're going to talk about Firestorm number 17 and 18 and Aquaman number 35. I hope he's home. Why does it sound like I'm using a phone in the UK? I told you never to call me again. Yeah, I know. And modern science has yet to create a device to measure how much I don't care. Look, I'm getting the trailer for this year's JL May together, and I assumed I had to make you a part of it since you're always in everybody's trailer or something. (laughs) Well, look at you leading this year's JL May. Somebody's wearing his big boy pants. So what's the theme? I sent you an email like a month ago. Like I even pay attention to anything you send me. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Infinite Crisis? No, Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I'm not following. Shocking. The theme this year, I'm, I'm going to, like I'm talking to a child, the theme this year is Countdown to Infinite Crisis. 
I thought it was a fascinating time period in DC's history. So a bunch of us are getting together to talk about the various specials and miniseries and crossovers that led up to Infinite Crisis. It's the event before the event. The whole thing is going to kick off on April 30th, 2020, with a special episode of Views from a Long Box covering the countdown to Infinite Crisis 80-page giant, and from there, a whole bunch of shows that I will be adding in post-production will discuss these previously mentioned miniseries and crossover issues. And people actually agreed to this? Shockingly, yes! Well, it's probably a good thing that you're going to cover Countdown to Infinite Crisis instead of the Countdown series, because that was a train wreck. Yeah, you know, actually, that was my thinking, too. Now, are you going to help me with this trailer or not? Fine. I will help you with your little trailer. Good. Uh, Don't worry, by the way. There won't be any dates for you to get wrong. I hate you so much. JL May 2020. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. The event before the event. This crossover kicks off on April 30th, 2020. On Views from the Long Box. And continues into... Aquaman and Firestorm. The Fire and Water Podcast. Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. Pop Culture Affidavit. It all comes back to Superman. The Fan Holes Podcast. Justice's First Dawn. The Birds of Prey Podcast. Married with Comics. The Coffee and Comics Podcast. The Longbox Crusade. Task Force X. Relatively Geeky Presents. Wonder Woman. Warrior for Peace. And the Dr. DC Podcast. Let's see if Rob was really putting the effort in. He put like a reverb on that. So we'll just pretend there was a reverb on that. Right, folks? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So we are now going to talk about Firestorm number 17 and Firestorm number 18. Just to give you a little bit of backstory, though, as we get into these issues. What was going on at Firestorm at the time? So if you go back a couple of issues or a few more than that to issue 14, issues 14 through 16 were really a soft relaunch of the book. They had had a different writer on the first 13 issues of the series, and due to editorial sort of interference, they couldn't go in the direction the writer wanted to go in. And so he went in the direction he was told, and it didn't work very well, wasn't very popular. So you get into issue 14, Stuart Moore comes on the book, and he's got artist Jamal Eigel, who is amazing. Right, And they give a whole refresh to the book. They give it a whole new direction. They give Firestorm an updated costume. They give him a new job, some new supporting cast. Um, they try to distance itself from some of the problems in the previous run, like uh, Jason's dad was beating him up and stuff like that in the previous run. They kind of put an end to that and move on past it. Uh, and at this point, Jason uh, can actually transform into Firestorm on his own. So he doesn't have to fuse with another person to become Firestorm at this point in his history. So that's all you need to know going in. So uh, the issue we're going to cover is Firestorm number 17, which is called An Unrighteous World, which is a Villains United tie-in. Now, Villains United was a, uh, a, a big miniseries uh, that all ties into the Countdown Infinite Crisis. And if you want more coverage, or complete coverage, I should say, on the Villains United miniseries, you should check out the Task Force X podcast with our buddy Aaron Head Moss, that uh, he's doing that as part of JLMA. He'll be covering the Villains United 
uh, miniseries. So, this particular issue of Firestorm number 17 was on the shelves November 2000. I'm sorry, it was cover dated November 2005. It was on sale September 14th, 2005. Cover price at $2.50. Writer I mentioned earlier, Stuart Moore, who was so good. Uh, penciler Jamal Eigel, again, so good. Inker Robert Stull. In, uh, other inker, there was two. Prentiss Rollins. Editor Steve Wacker. And the cover is by Matt Haley. It's a neat cover. Uh, it's got Firestorm sort of in the foreground. He's, he's turning like he's getting ready to slug somebody. And he's facing the Secret Society, which consists of Black Adam, Amazo, Queen Bee, and this new female parasite. So what do you think of the cover, buddy? I, I, I mean, it's a, I like it. It's a, it's a very classic cover, all these villains. It's just – it's so dark. Mm, it's yes. so dark. And That's true. Th- that is going to be my one main comment through both these issues. Everything is so dark. Why? <laughs> Why is it colored so – everything is so – Deep and blue and shadowy and it just like oh god I was like who color graded this thing but uh, but okay anyway it, it does look a little Zack Snyder yeah I, I, oh, you're right all the, at least Lord. especially the cover at least the I'm looking on DC Universe app but the uh, it does look sort of like um desaturated a bit yeah oh, that's true man <laughs> sakes alive but I love Amazo and I yep. love Black Adam and so it's cool yep so. Uh, now, ju- just to give you, again, a little more backstory, sorry, because this, at this point I said the DC Universe is very interconnected. Well, that's a plus if you're reading everything. It could be a minus if you're not. Now, I think you probably still muddled your way through without all this information, I hope. So we'll find out when we get to the end. But uh, leading up to this, uh, the Secret Society, who he's facing off, were introduced in Countdown Infinite Crisis number one. Then in the Villains Unite miniseries, they um, – well, let me back – okay, hold on. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Firestorm number 16, the issue before this, on the last page, Jason was blindsided by Amazo and kidnapped. Then over in JLA number seven, 117, written by Jeff Johns, they actually acknowledge it. Lois Lane mentions she's writing a front, art, a front piece article for the Daily Planet about Firestorm being captured, which is kind of cool. It's just, it wasn't necessary. It was a nice nod they had in there. Front page. Then huh? in Villains United number four, which is written by Gail Simone, that's where Firestorm has been captured, and he's being held in this containment field in this remote South America facility, which is run by the Secret Society. And they're using Firestorm basically as a battery. You know, they're sucking all this energy out of him. And then uh, their base gets attacked by this other group of renegade villains. Turns out that's the Secret Six. That's a whole other thing you guys got to find out about, and they're amazing as well. And the Secret Six go in. They, the Secret Six actually end up freeing Firestorm and this mysterious young lady. So as uh, issue number four of Villains United ends, Jason is free and he's confronting his captors and the Secret Six get away. So that's where we start on issue 17. When we open the issue, it, we are dropped right in the middle of the action. So, Firestorm number 17, as the issue opens, Firestorm is still in the Secret Society base located in South America. He's now free and he's awake and he is not happy about his imprisonment. Firestorm confronts the Secret Society, sent to safeguard the facility, including Black Adam, a new royal flush gang, a new female parasite, the Queen Bee, and her agents. Firestorm also knows that he is trapped along with a teenage girl. So to even the odds, Firestorm emits an enormous blast of energy, throwing the villains off for a while. And he has just a few moments to collect himself and escape with the girl who he finds out her name is Je- I always say Jenna, but I think it's supposed to be Jehenna, I think is how you're supposed to say it. Uh, and she asks Firestorm, are you my boyfriend? A little weird. Firestorm even uh, transforms back into Jason Rush for a few moments there in front of her, and uh, it doesn't take long for the villains to overtake and try and recapture the two, and there's a great moment where Black Adam actually meets Jason Rush, and he even refers to Jason as, quote, Firestorm's other self, his Batson, if you will. I love that. That was a great little nod. 
Meanwhile, off in space, we encounter this uh, commando squad of Thanagarians, and they have overrun a planet and are subduing this energy being that's there that tried to and failed to protect this planet's inhabitants. And the being is just he's struggling, this energy being struggling, and uh, he releases this deep roar. And you're wondering, what does this have to do with Firestorm? Well, at the same moment that that roar happens in space, back on Earth, Firestorm gains this huge surge of energy, which he uses to free himself. Jehenna then teleports herself and Firestorm out of the immediate danger, and unfortunately they get found again, because that's the way comics work. Now this time they manage to uh, fight their way free, and Firestorm detonates this large power storage battery, and the two escape as the facility explodes. Uh, before they can talk, Jehenna is teleported away, and Firestorm is left alone in the jungle, completely exhausted. But Jehenna telepathically promises, quote, I'll see you again, boyfriend. And that's how the issue ends. Oh, it's great. And it has a next issue box. It goes, next issue, a Millennium tie-in. Just kidding, which I thought was hilarious. So. Now, you coming into this cold, uh, I mean, I know you don't know much about Jason Rush. I know you don't know anything about this era of Firestorm. Uh, you don't know anything about Villains United. You just read this. What did you think? <laughs> yeah, I was coming into this incredibly cold. I have never read any of these comics before. Uh, I, I, had, I really didn't have any idea what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, um, I kind of I I like Jason Rush as Firestorm. That's cool. I I don't know how I feel about that. He doesn't you know have to like be Firestorm with somebody else. I feel like that's not Firestorm anymore. If he's you know, it was very temporary. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, at the same time, it's not bad to do something a little different. I kind of like the uh, the humorous tone to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought that was sort of fun. Like all those Jerry Conway Firestorms we were reading were kind of serious, like really mm-hmm. serious. It was a lot of like spousal abuse and like child abuse and all this kind of stuff. And this has got a lighter tone. And I will, I have to say, I thought my, my, I laughed out loud at the next the millennium tie in. Just kidding. I thought that was funny. <laughs> good. Good. I, I love this era. And you know, I, even though, yes, uh, the, the, the firestorm stuff you just mentioned, Jerry gets really deep and heavy. I would say if you go back to the earlier issues of Fury of Firestorm, you know, the plastique issues yeah. and stuff like that, right. there's some heavy stuff, but it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of – so I, I really feel like Stuart Moore and Jamal Igle captured the Jerry – were the closest to have ever capturing the Jerry Conway era of Firestorm because these are fun because you're right. It's back crap crazy with all these characters and you don't know what's going on and that's okay because the way – what I thought Stuart Moore did so uh, wonderfully is Jason doesn't know what's going on either. So your point of view character is like – he even says at one point, he's like, I think that might be the Royal Flush Gang. I don't know who any of these other people are. Hmm. And he calls it right out, which I love because I'm, I'm like, who's this female parasite? Who are these Royal Flush? I don't know who these people are. So I, I felt like I was there with him. And I also felt like you really got into Jason's head because he is still really new at this and he's very unsure of himself. But he is – the way he's written, he really is quite likable and very charming. <laughs> there's, there's a great point where he's, uh, he's getting beaten up. It's, it's, it's actually pretty sad where he's getting beat up really badly and he's thinking about all the things going wrong in his life, which is a very Ronnie Raymond thing to do. You know, like, oh, the world sucks. Oh, I've done everything wrong. No, what was me? But as he's getting beat up, the last thing he thinks is, Jehenna's really cute. <laughs> I just – I found that very adorable. So – the Jehenna character, did you find her annoying, interesting, quirky? What? Where did you fall on that one? Uh, <laughs> That's okay. A- I, anything's she, fine. She reminded me a little. There was some there, Some of the artwork reminded me of um, George Perez poses. I, I mm. kind of like there's the one shot where, he fired, where um, she says, you're my boyfriend. And he says, stop calling me that. And she goes, mm, he, sorry, the look on your face. And she's got her face, her hand up to her face. It reminds me of a very uh, George Perez kind of thing. So I actually thought she was kind of cute. 
I, okay. I yeah, I was sort of charmed by I like the the body language that Jamal Igle uses when she's leaning over at one point talking and he's like, just one sec, Jen, and she's like, Okay, I feel stronger. I see if I can teleport again and she's leaning over. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of body language. So I and probably, you know, real life she'd be super annoying, but in the comic I thought she was kind of charming. Awesome. Well I'm I'm really glad. I when I first read this issue, uh, and this is her first introduction, I I'd found her annoying. But as time has gone by, I really love this character now. She's she's wonderful. There's there's a lot of mystery around her. I don't know if you recognize her at all, but she becomes his girlfriend. In fact, she becomes the other half of Firestorm eventually. And oh, uh, No, in, I didn't know any of it. Yeah, well, in Black as Night, uh, she's the one that Dr. Light or that uh, Deathstorm kills. I mean, it's, oh, it's really... Oh. It's, yeah, it's really tragic. Um, so here, you know, again, she's very mysterious. We do find out that her name is Biblical. We usually translates to either Hell or Hidden. Uh, it's actually more the hidden side with her. She seems very, very young. We find out uh, years from now that she's, she's only a couple years old, actually. She talks about even speed learning in her resting chamber. She seems to never have been outdoors, outdoors before. Now, one thing I noticed here that I never noticed before, and I kind of hit myself in the head... When she teleports, especially that page where you're talking about with her body language, there's a glowing G effect when she teleports. In my in my head, I just saw sort of as like as like a spinning effect, but there's actually a glowing G hanging in the air. I never noticed that, so I like that. Oh yeah, oh that's okay. Yep. I see that. Yeah, good brand. And she mentions that her dad knows Firestorm better than anyone. Well, turns out, and spoiler for a 15 year old comic, she is a genetic creation by um, Tokamak. Remember Tokamak, the guy Tokamak. all the way back from the first Firestorm manual? <laughs> yes. He comes yeah. back and fights Jason. So uh, she's, she's all tied up with that. But it takes like a whole year for this to lay out. Stuart Moore had a brilliant way uh, plan here. In fact, the other piece I want to mention. So in the recap, there's this glowing energy being, right, that got tortured. You probably That was probably just nonsense gibberish to you, I bet, right? Yeah, I, did. I, I just was like, okay, let's move. Yep. Keep going, keep going. It was nonsense, Jewish. None of us knew what that was. We're like, what the heck is this? This doesn't do with the story. And it wasn't until you know where the story's going to go in about uh, six months where you go back and you realize, oh, that energy being is secretly Professor Martin Stein because he's actually in the form of the elemental firestorm. He has been the elemental firestorm all the way for like 15 years now since Firestorm number 100, the last issue of Firestorm. Professor Stein became the elemental firestorm and went and hung out in space. That's him. And uh, what it's leading to is during Infinite Crisis, Jason and Professor Stein merge, and they'll become Firestorm going forward for for quite a while. Aha! Uh-huh. So that was uh, knowing in hindsight now, it's rather nice. So I found this issue a lot of fun. It was it, it in fact it inspired me to go back and reread issues fourteen through sixteen, the lead up to this. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna tap this gold mine here at some point. Rob, Rob and I have been talking about it for several years, just finding some really nice lesser known runs of the character to read. And, uh, well, I won't probably include the Infinite Crisis issues. The the stuff around this, though, we are, is super fun with Jason. So I think we should uh, definitely get into this at some point. Yeah, we're going to nightcast it. We're going to just talk about comics we want to talk about. There we go. I, I heard of those guys. Are they, st- are they still making podcasts? I didn't, I didn't know that. Okay, interesting. Um, all right, so we are going to move on to Firestorm number 18, which is called No uh, No Security. It's an OMAC project tie-in. Oh, joy. Cover date in December 2005. Not the world's biggest OMAC fan. Um, it's covered in uh, December 2005, on sale date October 12, 2005. Cover price is $2.50. Similar creator credits to last time, but uh, the difference here is you've got two different art teams. You've got Jamal Eigel and Robert uh, and Rob Stolick before, but you've also got Patrick Olaf and Simon Colby. Again, the cover is by Matt Haley. What do you think? It's uh, OMAC as a firestorm with a bunch of OMACs. What do you think of the cover? Uh, it's okay. It's a little dull. Like, it's just yeah? it's kind of a straight ad. I mean, it's the art's pretty, but I just, as an image, I think it's just... 
you know, you're like, eh, all right. I actually really like this cover for a couple different reasons. One is that it's completely not representative of what happens in the issue, so I think that's fun. Mm. <laughs> and it's sort of stark and scary to see Firestorm with the OMAC design. It's like, oh, crap. Really? Has he become an OMAC? No, but uh, I, I kind of like it. I think it's very striking. All right. all right. And I hate OMAX. I mean, I really freaking hate OMAX. So, so all right. Uh, okay. Now, the OMAX, just so you know here, again, first appearance, Countdown, Infinite Crisis, and then goes into the OMAC project. Now, for complete coverage on the OMAC project miniseries, check out Married with Comics, the podcast by John and Maggie. They are part of JL May. So go check that out. John and Maggie are super fun friends of ours, and uh, hopefully they'll have some nice things to say about OMAC project because I don't. Other than Greg Rucka. All right. So Firestorm number 18, the recap. Firestorm returns from South America to the United States by clinging to the outside of a U.S. passenger airliner. He arrives in San Francisco, and the nuclear man is completely exhausted and finds his way to Star Labs. There, Firestorm encounters Dr. Faden, who's an expert in miniature – that's a really hard word to say. Miniaturization. Miniature, how do you say that word? Miniaturization. That's the one. And uh, now Jason knows this guy from his time working at the Detroit Star Labs branch. Now, as they try and diagnose what's wrong with Firestorm, the lab experiences all these various power fluctuations and explosions. Well, at the same time, these uh, big blocks of angry text fill up all the monitors. Just as these problems surface, another Star Labs employee named Jerry – i got to think that's a, a nod to Jerry Conway. Jerry is converted into an OMAC by the Brother Eye satellite. Firestorm manages to temporarily halt the OMAC by encasing him in a solid block of titanium. Then they, then they discover that Dr. Faden's estranged wife, Nanette, who's missing, uh, Dr. Faden accidentally miniaturized her, and she is behind the power problems in the lab. Nanette comes to their, help, to their aid in the battle against the OMAC by identifying the nanobots that are inside the OMAC that are responsible for transforming Jerry into it. So Firestorm uses Nanette's information and is able to transmute the nanobots into water, reversing the OMAC process and turning Jerry back to normal. But sadly, Jerry is left catatonic. And then Nanette, the miniature Nanette, uh, Nanette, actually disappears as well. Now, returning to his Detroit apartment, Jason discovers that his best friend and roommate, Mick, is moving out. Mick, as it turns out, has been, uh, had been replaced by Amazo four weeks ago. Mick's been held hostage by the bad guys. And um, now it turns out that Jason never lived with Mick at all. He lived with Amazo in disguise the entire time. So uh, Mick leaves, and Jason also discovers that his branch of Star Labs, where he works, is being shut down. So Jason no longer has an income. He no longer has a roommate. And he's uh, resigned to postponing his college for another year and possibly returning to live at home with his dad. And he realizes that other people are worse off than him, though, so he's going to focus on being the best he can be as Jason Rush and as Firestorm. So, what would you think of this one, buddy? Again, so dark. So, <laughs> so dark. Why is everything so dark? Um, I, I, I didn't like it as much as the previous one, partly because I said I think I really kind of like that. Uh, that other character. What, what's her, what was her name again? Jenna. Jenna. I like yep. Jenna. She added. I mean, there's some comedy in this too, which I appreciated. The whole bit about the the, the Pionic Man being in the computer, and he's like, you know, bite me and stuff like that. I thought that was yep. good. But uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, these these Zomac tie-ins are a little little rough. <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple different things to mention in here. Jason does a move here, and I hope Cisco is listening. I don't know if you ever listened to our podcast, but I hope he is. But Jason does something that I always say should be Firestorm's go-to move, where he immediately encases the, the OMAC in a block of titanium. That should be the end of the story. Hmm. Firestorm should do that with every villain. If, and if I'm ever in a role-playing s- setting and I'm playing Firestorm, that's what I'm going to do. 
So that's a little nod to Siskoid. Anyway, uh, I just find it hilarious because I'm like, that's exactly what Firestorm should do every time. Now, you talked about Dr. Faden, and I love him as the unreliable narrator in this story. Because you find out Nanette, his wife, has been miniaturized, and she's inside the computer. And they're like, how did that happen? And he's like, uh, it was an accident? <laughs> and while he's saying that, you, you see what really happened, where him and his wife have this horrible argument. She calls him a bastard, and he just shoots her and <laughs> shrinks her, which is hilarious. So I love that bit. It is very, very chaotic, though, the issue itself. It's like there's so much going on. There's the, the there's the Pionic Man who is, like you said, on the screen complaining at people. There's Nanette who's on the screen claiming, screaming at people. There's OMAC happening. All this. It's, it's a lot going on. So I think it it might be a little bit too cluttered, this issue itself. Uh, it, the, Nanette, the Nanette part was my favorite bit in this whole thing. Now, it is very sad at the end. Uh, you feel like Jason's life is completely unraveling and falling apart. But what they're really doing there is they're just setting up the stage so he can go join them in infinite crisis goes off in space and again eventually merges with professor stein so that's really what they're doing they're setting the table for that now uh after all this is over you get into uh, infinite crisis jason goes out into space he joins them they have the one year later storyline and that it's another soft relaunch relaunch for jason where he's now merged with professor stein and and at different points with firehawk and going forward that way and it's just absolutely fantastic it's such a good run so that is firestorm and the countdown to infinite crisis why don't you tell us a little about this guy who talks to fish uh, yeah, I mean, this is Aquaman number 35. Uh, the story is A Walk-On Part in a War by John Arcudi, Leonard Kirk, and Andy Clark. And I think that title really sums up the story. It does. Uh, <laughs> it really does. Uh, it came out on October 5th, 2005. I really like the, the cover, by the way. Uh, I believe it's by Patrick Leeson uh, of Aquaman and Koryak fighting the Brother Eye, or not the Brother Eye, but yeah, well, the OMAC robot, basically. Yep. Uh, and I really, I really like this cover quite a bit, uh, actually. I mean, I like Patrick Leeson anyway. And I like the Aquaman logo, and he gave it a lot of movement. So I, I dig the cover. What do you think of it? I, I like it. It took me a while to figure out whether that was Koryak or that was the Omic. Like, I thought for a while they were one being because mm-hmm. being upside down is a little hard to make. But the more you spend time looking at it, like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it, but Gleason's so good. I mean, he started the Sub Diego. Uh, he was on Sub Diego in the beginning, wasn't he? Yes, yes, he was. Yeah, so it's, it's wonderful to see that. I mean, just even the bubbles that are coming up off of the OMAC that you know are just flowing above them, heading uh, up. It looks great. It's a wonderful cover. Yeah, great. A lot of movement, a lot of good movement, which is hard to do sometimes with Aquaman. So anyway, uh, like I said, the story is Aquaman takes a very ill, rapidly withering Mira to the Mad Doctor known as Geist, since he was the one who experimented on humans to make them able to breathe underwater. Aquaman figures that he can help Mira, who is having the exact opposite problem. However, Geist suddenly blacks out. Groggily, he mentions he's been having blackouts since he was an intern at Wayne Tech, but they've been gone a long while. Aquaman thinks this is a trick and insists on Geist helping Mira. Just then, Geist is connected telepathically to an orbiting space station, the Brother Rye station, and a massive OMAC android bursts out and starts to attack Aquaman. As the battle rages, over at Progene Tech, we learn that Black Manta has been undergoing some experimentation too. Namely, he can now breathe underwater as well. As Aquaman fights the OMAC, he wonders aloud if Geist is inside the suit. Not holding back, Aquaman throws a bus onto the OMAC, but then only stops it for a few moments. Aquaman's son Koryak appears and grabs the OMAC. Throwing it into the ocean, he solidifies a chunk of water and uses it to crush the OMAC's suit, leaving only Geist's body. Back on land, a bystander named Esther approaches the wounded and nearly unconscious Aquaman. She cradles him in her lap, calling him Darling. Much of the surprise of Mira, who has overheard all of this... To be continued. Yeah. 
that was a story. <laughs> All right. Now, I'm coming into this a little cold as well. Now, I've read those, these Aquaman issues as they came out. I don't remember. Uh, once you get past the early issues of Sub Diego, I have no memory of any of this stuff. I really don't remember it. And uh, this issue did not grab me. Um, it's a big fight. Know, the- it's just mostly a big fight. I mean, I, John Arcudi, by calling it a walk-on part at a war – is just laying it right out there. He's hanging oh, yeah. a lantern on. He's saying, yeah, all right, I have to do this tie-in, so we're going to do this little thing. Oh, here's the Omec robot. Here's a big fight. All right, let's get back to my story that I've been working on. Yeah, it really is very much so. But there are certain things like – I. My biggest problem is I feel like the art lets this issue down a lot. It's Leonard Kirk, uh, who I, I typically like. So I got to put the fault at the inking, Andy Clark. There, There's this weird – not pointillism, but just like a lot of dot stuff yeah. going mm-hmm. on. I I don't like it. I, I like I actively dislike the art in this comic. And then I feel like there's some failure in the storytelling. And like when Geist transforms into the Omac, you never actually see it happen. No, it is so, a very unclear. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with what's going on with these Omacs, you might not realize that Geist is the Omac. Right. I mean, you're like, did he did the Omac appear like on top of Geist or yep. like is he there with Geist? But yeah, you never know whether is it a transformation. Yeah, it is. I had to look at it because I read these comics at the time and I haven't looked at them in a little while. And I had to look this over several times. I'm like, wait, where's the Omac coming from here? Yeah, so that I, and I put that on the art, not the not the writing. Yeah. Um, I liked the way Koryak beat the Omac by crushing him with a giant block of hard water, which mm-hmm. was actually really cool. Mm-hmm. It seemed a little easy, but still pretty cool. And it made me wonder how easy it would be to beat these Omacs. Now, um, the other th- the, the, this other woman, Esther, Esther I guess you said her name. Was, yeah. Is this her first appearance? No, she was in previous issues. They were he was she was an ongoing subplot here. Okay, because as Someone like, you know, let's say I picked up this. If I was someone who wanted to, wasn't buying Aquaman or Firestorm, and I bought both of these issues, I think the Firestorm issues, again, I'm a bit biased, but I think Jason had enough charm in there to make you possibly want to pick up more issues of Firestorm. If I read this Aquaman issue, I'd be like, I don't even know what the hell's going on. I don't know who this Geist person is. I don't know why Aquaman hates him. I don't know who this Esther person is. I don't care. And I don't like the art. This would not have made me want to pick up another issue of Aquaman. I'm sorry. Whereas the Firestorm ones would have probably got me to do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Firestorms are a little more of a complete story, somewhat. Uh, and I just don't think John Arcudi was interested in that. I really think, again, we don't know. I haven't talked to the man. But I really do get the sense that this OMAC tie-in was kind of grudgingly, you know, kind of like uh, the way uh, Crisis horned in on the Alan Moore run on Swamp Thing. It was like, sure, all right. right, yeah, all right, I'll just kind of do it off on the side. I really think he just wanted to continue the stuff he'd been building up towards. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a lot of positive things to say about the Aquaman issue. It's um, not my favorite comic. I like Aquaman throwing a bus. I always enjoy that. that. Just, you know, no. that level of strength. I always appreciate that. I'm not a big fan of Koryak. and just kind of like, eh, all right. And this does feature a very brief appearance by Aqua Girl, Lorena. Mm-hmm. And I'm always disappointed when she doesn't show up more because I think she was the greatest addition to the Aquaman canon uh, in many decades. And I am always sorry that she is gone out of continuity. You and I have sung her praises several yeah. times. And um, now here's something if you are interested. Every once in a while, you'll find that one of your favorite characters appeared in some comics that you didn't know about. In my case, I just found out getting ready for this episode that Firestorm appears in a comic I don't even remember existing called OMAC. Not the OMAC Project, but I guess there was an ongoing OMAC series or miniseries or something at one point. And Firestorm's – and the Jason Rush Firestorm's like in three issues. So I'm like so excited. I'm going to go find those now and read those. 
So it's a new Jason comic for me I've never read from like 2005, 2006, whatever. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Aqua Girl showed up in some of the Teen Titans comics. Yes, I did know that. I should okay. – I've been talking about – reading them at some point just so I could see her a little more but I've never gotten around to it. And that's where, that's where I was going from. Yeah, some of these, uh, it depends on the Teen Titan run. There's different, I mean, Jeff John's run was great. Uh, I like Sean Kiever, or I think it was his name, Kiever's run? I can't remember his name. Anyway, I, I like some of some people don't, but either way, uh, it was always fun to see her. So, yeah, yeah. she's a great, she's a fantastic character. You and yeah. I have uh, sung her praises before. Yeah, yeah. she shows her just enough. One nice little detail, like when they go to the scene in the bar mm-hmm. and they're talking about Wonder Woman breaking Max Lord's neck, Maxwell Lord's <laughs> neck. The panel from the comic where that actually happened is showing on the television. Like they took yep. the panel and dropped it into the TV, which is a nice, you know, just a nice little effect of like that's what it looked like in quote unquote the real world of the Wonder Woman comic. And here that's what it looks like in the bar. I thought that was instead of getting them to redraw it, it's just the panel from the comic, which I thought was just a fun touch. Yeah. I mean, that's a good example of, again, how interconnected everything was right now. I mean, you could you could read the the main thrust of Infinite Crisis or the miniseries or whatever and be fine, but if you read these tie-ins, it just fleshed out the tapestry. And I love that about this era of DC. Again, I was completely all in, and uh, it was extremely exciting, because you're wondering, what's Infinite Crisis going to be? Oh my gosh, it's 20 years since Crisis on Infinite Earth. This is so exciting! Not knowing where it would end, so... Um, now, after this, after this issue's over, uh, you go a couple more issues after Infinite Crisis, you get to the one year later, and you get to what, Rob? Sword of Atlantis. Yeah, this is basically just the last couple issues of this, this Aquaman as we know him, and then we're one year later, now we have Patrick Joseph and all these different things, and uh, yeah, so this was kind of the, 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 last, uh, the last hurrah, as you said earlier, the last hurrah for this version of Aquaman. Yeah, for about five years. Yep. So, yep. yep. Well, all right, folks, that's going to do it for Firestorm and Aquaman in the Countdown Infinite Crisis. However, JLMA continues in a whole lot of other podcasts. So please, folks, go out and check out these other shows. Go out to Views from the Lawn Box. I'm Rob- on that one, by the way. <laughs> Robin, everyone loves the Drake. Pop David, uh, pop culture affidavit. It all comes back to Superman. The Fanholes podcast. Justice's First Dawn. Birds of Prey podcast. Married with Comics. Coffee and Comics podcast. Long Box Crusade. Task Force X podcast. Relatively Geeky Presents. Hey, I'm on that one too. Uh, Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace. Dr. DC podcast. And on our very own FW podcast, our anthology show, where uh, myself and another guest will be covering Day of Vengeance. So go out there and check those out. Remember, use the hashtag JLMay2020 or leave comments on our website. Rob, what's our website? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. There will also have an image gallery featuring some images from these issues, so you can check those out as well. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the countdown to Infinite Crisis and leading up to it, how excited you were or weren't excited, or what was some of your favorites as well. And uh, again, please go out and check out our friend shows, and I think that is going to do it, Rob. Yeah, that's it. for That's it. We're not doing the channel maze anymore. That's it. We're not going to care uh, what bit. So the true story is <laughs> Bailey reached out to me a year ago and said, hey, I got a great idea for JLMA. Why don't we do this? And I said, sure. And he said, hey, you want to do Aquaman and Firestorm? And I said, sure. And I reached out to Rob a year ago and Rob said, hell no. And so I said, okay, I'll find somebody else. So a couple months ago we got closer and I'm like, hey, Rob, I'm going to do this with somebody else. And he's like, oh. if you, you, there was a big sigh. Oh, and fine. So. I was, I, I was like, what are we doing, living in the middle of a pandemic? Or, uh, come on. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it. Go out and find us on social media. You know where. Until next time, fan the flame. And ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No. Nope.
even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in air. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make us super fair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. Like a pit bull off the leash, you attack without thought. Ready to leap at your master's command. Brother I, bring the rain! You should have given peace a chance. Hold back, no! 